Well, do you know Tom Hanks? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's considered to be one of the best uh, actors in Hollywood. Um, not just uh, in our time, but uh, in all of Hollywood, in all of acting, he's considered as one of the best actors, if not the best actor uh, of all time. He's, uh, there's a producer, I can't remember the producer's name, but a producer said that he's all things to all the directors, that a lot of directors, especially Steven Spielberg, love to work with him because he's multi-talented. He can play a role like uh, Forrest Gump, or he could play a captain in World War II to save Private Ryan, right? Or he can even play Mr. Rogers. That's one of his most recent movies. So uh, he's considered in Hollywood as all things to a lot of the leaders in Hollywood, uh, directors and producers. I bring your attention to that because that phrase, all things to all people, not just producers or directors, but in this, in this sense, we're going to talk about a person in the Bible today that was all things to all people. He's the one that coined it, and this person I'm talking about was one of our first church leaders named Paul, the Apostle Paul. So turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to look at verse 19 through 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 through 23. So the sermon title today is called, All Things to All People. While you're turning your Bibles with me, uh, let's pause for a second and have one more word of prayer. Blessed Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us a place of worship, for allowing this to happen where we can worship you in wonderful freedom. And at this moment, as we open your word, may your Holy Spirit enlighten our hearts and mind with a new teaching that we could take for ourselves so we can grow closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, here's what Paul says. He says, Though I am free and belong to no person, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, verse 20, he says, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, which are the Jews, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. Then verse 21, he says, to those not having the law, you, you could summarize that as Gentiles, or the Gentiles. Uh, to the Gentiles, I became a Gentile, so as to win the Gentiles, as to win those not having the law. Then verse 22, he continues on and says, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men. Now, of course, the Greek word here is, is anthropos, and it's not just talking about males. Of course, it's talking about all of humanity. So Paul is including everyone here, uh, men and women. He says here, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, 
that I might share in its blessings. So what is Paul talking about here? Is he talking about being fake? That he's one thing with a group of certain people, and then he's another thing with another set of people. Is he talking about that he has multi-personalities? No. What he's talking about here is, if anything, it's the opposite. Paul is talking of being considerate to all people of all walks of life. He's taking into consideration that if his audience is Jewish, he's going to relate to them as Jewish people need to be related to. And so forth, it goes with the Gentiles, it goes towards with the weak, or if he were to continue on, he might say, and for the strong, I am strong. So he is wanting to be relatable to all groups of people. Did you see that word all? It was mentioned, I think, four or five times just in two verses. In verse 22, he says, 22 letter B, he says, I have become all things to all people that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. That's one of those words that you can just easily ignore in scripture but it has a tremendous impact what does that idea of all what comes to mind when you hear that word what comes to mind it means everyone is included everything everyone mm -hmm. right that word every so all in the um in the greek you're gonna love this it's pan like in spanish pan is bread so um pan in greek means all so not one person is excluded. Can you think of Jesus' great commission? What was his great commission? He says, go and make disciples of all nations, of all people, baptizing them, right? So Paul, if anything, he knows what's going on. He's sharp, he's keen, and he realizes that if he's going to preach the gospel, it has to be at the direction that Jesus gave him, to all people. And therefore, if he's going to preach it to all people, he needs to look at all the people that are significant in his day of age. And all of those people are mentioned here. Jews, slaves, Gentiles, the weak, the ones who are downtrodden, the ones who are forgotten by society. He, he is thinking of every single person in this respect. You know what this passage also tells me? Is that as Christians today, if we want to be relatable in our community, if we want to be relatable in the area that we serve, we need to know who the people are that we do serve. And not only relatability is a lesson that we see here, another lesson that we also see is in order to be relatable, in order to know the different groups of people there, in order to know how to interact and serve, we also need to be empathic and observant to their needs. Empathic and observant to their needs. Paul does that in this situation. 
He does that in this situation. Let's take a look at one example. There's so many examples in scripture that shows us on how Paul interacted with Gentiles, with Jews, with young and with old, with men and female. But there, there's just so many to go through. So I want to bring your attention attention to at least one of these examples of how Paul interacts in this mindset of sensitivity of not I don't want to say sensitivity with with tact and respect let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 17 okay Acts chapter 17 but keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 9 because we'll go back to that Acts chapter 17 verse 22 uh, as you're turning your Bibles there, let me give you a quick background of what's happening here in this story. In Acts 17, Paul is in Athens. And Athens was the Mecca of that time uh, for all uh, philosophy and religion in the, uh, I guess you can say, Mediterranean world, in the ancient world, okay? Now this um, religion that, that we're going to see here is, is not the Christian religion, but it's the Roman religion of Hera and Zeus and all of the other false gods, right? So now Paul has come into the presence of these teachers and of these religious leaders. If you're in this, if you're in this situation and you're about to, and you want to share the gospel, how would you do it? How would you share the gospel amongst, I don't know, 30, 50 religious leaders? How would you share the gospel, especially if it's going to be the first time they're going to hear it? Let's see how Paul does it. Let's see what lessons we can get out of Paul's method, I guess we could say. His method of how he approached this situation. Verse 22, he's, uh, it says here, Paul then stood up in the meeting. Okay, there's all these religious leaders, and he said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. What's the first thing that he does? Yeah, he praises them. Thank you. He acknowledges, he praises them, he recognizes that these people are devout. They're devout to their faith. Regardless if the faith is blind, regardless if the faith is based on a, on a false god, Paul does at least respect the fact that these are faithful religious people. So the situation might be different. Maybe you're going into another situation and it's not a religious thing. Maybe it's just the fact that you're going into a new place where they serve a different kind of food that you're not used to. Instead of, I don't know, Filipino food that I'm accustomed to, they're serving me Italian food. Right? So, so, so what I need to recognize is that they're, they're, there's this huge table of pasta and salads and, and uh, what's the uh, other Italian foods? Uh, lasagna, pizza. But I have heard that pizza is really not Italian food. Yeah, that's, that's, that's American food, right? It's just different. Yeah, yeah. So, so imagine this plethora of food and I come to it. And all I'm thinking is I can't eat cheese because I'm lactose intolerant. Am I going to say that? No. What I am looking at is I'm going to praise them for their offering. Thank you for your willingness to, to put out your best efforts in, in, in wanting to welcome me. Right? That's tact. That's respect. I'm not just going to go in there and say, well, I can't eat that. You got to give me something else. That's rude. 
But sometimes we as Christians, sometimes we as Adventists, we, we do that, right? Oh, that's bad for your diet. Mm -mm. Or, or something to, to that effect. Well, I've been guilty of that. I'll be honest to say. But Paul here, let's go back to, to Acts chapter uh, 17, verse 22. Uh, Paul recognizes, acknowledges that these men are religious and, are very, and that it's very important for them. He then continues on in verse 23. He says, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. Let's pause there for a second. What does Paul do? Not only does he recognize the religious leaders, but he also takes the time to understand what's important to them. How do I know that? Well, because the Bible just told us in verse 23 that as I walked around and looked, how did he look? He looked carefully. He looked very carefully at their objects of worship. Regardless of whether it's false or true, that's not the point at this moment, he wants to understand who he's about to engage with. You see, up to this point, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about an impactful church. We've talked about some philosophical ways of how a church is impactful. Today, I want us to see through Paul's methods an actual tangible way of how Paul did it. He's acknowledging, he's respectful, he's tactful. He even takes the time to understand. It says here, he looked carefully at all of their objects of worship. Now, here's the part where he's going to bring in the gospel, okay? He then says, I even found an altar with this inscription. The inscription said, to an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. And then he goes ahead and presents uh, God as being the one... Um, true God who created all things and that this one true God loves people so much he loves his creation so much he sent his one and only son it doesn't say that exactly in those words but it does say here like for example in verse if you go to verse 31 it says for God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed that's Jesus right he has given proof of this to all men by raising him, who's that? Jesus, from the dead. See, this is how then Paul is presenting it. He's presenting it in a matter of respectfulness. He's willing to engage. He's willing to hear their side, and then he's going to share his side. And then what is the result of him sharing the gospel in such a very uh, respectful method? Verse 32, it says here, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Because, you know, this is against their theology. And I would expect that some religious leaders who did not believe in this would go against it. So they sneered at it. However, others said... We want to hear you again on this subject. Ah, now the seed has been planted. Sometimes we need to remember that the gospel is a marathon and not a sprint. Did Paul not say that as well? 
Sometimes the gospel, in present, presenting the gospel, it's going to be a marathon. Maybe it's just a matter of planting the seed, and then from there it starts to grow. Paul's method right there. And who is he engaging in this manner? He's not engaging the Jews, he's en engaging the Gentiles. Which brings us back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, where he says, I am all things to all people. I need to be considerate of those who I am serving and ministering to. What is the language they speak? What is their culture? What are things that I need to be respectful of in order that I can continue to engage with them in a very healthy manner? That is Paul's tangible method right there that I think we need to adopt as a church. It's loving. It's Jesus. Did not Jesus as well, whenever Jesus taught, did he just tell you how it was? No. Depending on the occasion. I mean, he was very stern on the Pharisees. He says, you brood of vipers. He was very straightforward with them. But when it was someone that was new, who was learning truths, how would he teach them? He would give them parables. He would ask questions so that way the person, the individual, would actually have a moment to think about it, to process it, and then internalize it and make it very important for themselves. That's how Jesus did it too. Paul is no different. No different. So what I really want to share with you all today is I think we need to adopt this philosophy. We need to adopt this method as we, as we serve Castle Rock the community of Castle Rock, as we interact with each other as church members. This is how, how we do it. You know, as a uh, pastor, one of my joys in pastoral ministry is, uh, the, uh, is to officiate the wedding of, of uh, two young couples. Um, I guess they don't have to be young. I've never had older people, but maybe one day that'll happen. But, I'm sorry? Just one couple. Just one, oh yeah, I said two couples, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, double wedding. Yeah, yeah, Jim's right. Thanks for catching me on that, Dad. Um, yeah, so uh, I love officiating weddings, but what I e even love more is what happens before the wedding, where we have the premarital counseling part. And one of the things I like to um, inform young couples is that when you're going into a situation, you're actually going to accept her and his different cultures. And how attuned are you to that? Especially if the two cultures are not of the same race. What if it's Filipino and white, right? Or Hispanic and Filipino. Well, there's a lot of similarities there. We're both loud, Hispanics and Filipinos. Sorry for anyone that might disagree with that, but I think it's true. So, um, so what happens then? And then I even tell the young, uh, the, the young couple, I tell them, now take it a step further. Now it's not just you considering their values and their culture, but what about their family's culture? You know, so, so the same thing, the same principle goes in serving the community, in serving the community. Now, now that I have your attention on this, I want to bring your attention to something else that I think is even a deeper, profound idea. I believe the concept of all things to all people is not only earthly behavior, I think it's also heavenly behavior. 
Have you ever thought about this? Like when you're uh, finally in heaven, uh, a lot of times people say, I want to know what heaven looks like. Some people have asked the question, and I've asked this question, what are we going to be like in heaven? How are we going to act? How are we going to talk? How are we going to interact with each other? Here's my hypothesis. I think our earthly behavior, when we're with Christ, I need to put that caveat in there, I believe our earthly behavior is going to be the same as our heavenly behavior. And here's why I think that. Let's go to Philippians. <clears throat> We're sticking to Paul today. Paul is our main man. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Paul gives us a very important word here that I think is important for us to really understand. And we really need to feed on this, reflect on it, uh, let our minds marinate on it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Okay. What does Paul say in verse 20? Actually, let's start with verse 17. In order to get the full idea of a verse, you always have to read in full context, right? Or at least the preceding verses. So here's what Paul says in verse 17. He says, Join with others in following my example, my brothers and sisters, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we have given you. So what Paul is pretty much saying there is how I have lived my life. And if you have seen Christ in me, then live that life the same way. Verse 18, he says, For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Now, what does he say in verse 20 that's so significant, significant for our context today? He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body body meaning physical nature but what about the behavioral nature of how we interact with each other how is paul writing this the context of how paul is writing this is for the church of philippi philippi was a young church at this time who was going to, uh, which was going through some problems problems with leaders not agreeing philosophically and that's that's normal that's not a bad thing I think conflict is a good thing for church at times, okay? And here in this story, or in this letter that, that Paul has written to the church of Philippi, he's pointing out that the church needs to remain united. He's encouraging the church to remain united. In uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Or in another way of saying it, put other people's needs before yours. 
Verse 4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, here's that one popular verse that we all know really well. In verse 5, it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. When does Paul give that antidote? When does Paul give this command? He gives it for the sake of earthly behavior. However, does that really just sound earthly to you? About a, a God, if you were to read verse 6 in chapter 2 of Philippians, it says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God. Now we're talking about some heavenly divine stuff here. That God is a, a wonderful, loving being in heaven who decided to come into this world to become a man, which verse 7 says, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a slave, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here is what I am going to say today right now, and it's a pretty bold statement. I think our earthly behavior is the same as the heavenly behavior, going back to verse uh, 20 of chapter 3 because what Paul is pointing out here is he's talking about your citizenship on earth your citizenship on earth is how your citizenship on heaven is going to be like so let's pause on citizenship what does it mean to be a citizen of a nation well number one you get certain rights you get certain rights. You may recall that Paul at one time was arrested. You'll find this in Acts chapter 22, I think. He was arrested and he was about to get flogged by the Roman soldiers. Remember that? It says specifically that uh, the soldiers said, let's flog him so he tells us the truth. And then Paul says, wait, are you going to flog a Roman citizen? Is this right? And the Roman soldiers said, wait, you're a citizen? Wait, you, you deserve a trial. That's your right as a citizen. You deserve a trial. So citizen, to be a citizen means you get certain rights. But then also to be a citizen means you have to live according to certain laws. You have to live according to certain rules. Now, here's the question I'm going to ask. Who makes those rules that you're going to abide by? To be law-abiding citizens of Colorado, of Denver, let's just say Denver, whose rules are you going to abide by? Is it your rules? Is it the rules of your best friend? No, it's the rules of the governing body of that city, of that state, of that nation. And in this sense, who's governing heaven? God. And what is God? What does 1 John 4, 16 tell us? God is love. So do you think then God's governing love in heaven is any different in earth? What is Paul telling the people? He's saying love each other out of Christ's likeness. That's the same governing law that's in heaven. If you want to be all things to all people, you need to have that governing love that God has in heaven. You need to do it here on earth. So what I think then is, I think earth 
is the practice field, if you can imagine. This is not the stage that we're going to really perform and live out God's love. I think to some degree, this is where we are uh, fine-tuning God's love. That's why, here's a question that I hear a lot. Do I really need to go to church to be saved? No, you don't need to go to church to be saved. But if you want to understand forgiveness, if you want to understand uh, long-suffering, if you want to understand Christ, if you want to understand love, if you want to understand fellowship, if you want to understand heavenly, wonderful, heavenly things, that's where church is important. Because do we not love each other? Yes. But are there times where we get upset with each other? Yes. Therefore, are there times where we get to live out forgiveness that Jesus encourages us to forgive others? Yes. That's where we learn to live it. To live it out. But here's the fault that some humans have, and I've done this in the past, that the second I'm upset, you know what I'm doing? I'm backing away, and I'm hiding, and I'm saying, I don't want to be with anyone. I'm separating. I'm separating from that bad feeling. And when I separate from that bad feeling, guess who, who is robbed? I am robbed. Thanks, Dad. I am robbed of experiencing forgiveness, reconciliation, all the wonderful things that's about God. And that is why church is important. If we want to be all things to all people, we need to look at this deep, profound truth that we are seeing in the Bible today. That Paul says to us, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Citizenship. Yes. What I love about this is that Paul reminds us that we are citizens in heaven. It doesn't have to be bought. It can't be bribed. It's just given to us when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's the beauty of it. That's grace. Well, since we were talking about grace in Sabbath school today, how can you really describe grace? That's grace right there because we never deserved the citizenship. It's our heritage because God loves us. We're citizens. So, if we're citizens of heaven, then that reminds me, that reminds me that my time here on earth, that my life here on earth is temporary. And that I shouldn't be so concerned about my citizenship here. If anything, I should be focused on my citizenship up there. Yes. Right? Hmm. Profound thoughts today. And you know, I just had this epiphany as well when I was researching and studying that, wow, Paul is making a connection here between the two. Earthly behavior, heavenly behavior, nothing different, nothing different. Here's the Greek word for citizen, uh, citizenship, just for your uh, knowledge. It's um, uh, politeiuma. Politeiuma, there's another root word in there called polis. Polis means city. That's where we get the idea of metropolis. If you want to think of metropolis, uh, the word meter uh, means mother in Greek. 
So you put the two together, mother city, metropolis, that's what it really means, uh, the mother city. Or in another way to look at that is uh, the main hub or the capital. Okay, so Denver is the metropolis to Colorado and the metropolis or the main hub for all of the United States of America is what? Washington, D.C. Um, Politeyuma, another way to translate that instead of citizenship, I love this one. I love this translation more. It says, how to conduct. How to conduct what? How to conduct yourself. How to conduct your behavior. Polis gives us the word politics too. So the true essence of politics is how to conduct your people's behavior in the city, in the state, in the nation. Polis. So my proposal to y'all today, if we want to be all things to all people, we need to look at people through the eyes of Jesus Christ. We need to look at all people through the eyes of Jesus Christ. And that word all, ban, is a very important word. We need to look at all people, Jew, Gentile, black or white, Filipino, male, female, young or old, Let's welcome them to our church.